I, I've never used one of these things before. Um, good morning. I am glad you were all here. Uh, David, Pastor David called me about a month ago, and he asks me, hey man, how do you feel about preaching? And I thought, oh no, what is he, tr- what is he trying to get me into? Um, so I was definitely nervous. There's been some anticipation. And actually, the last couple nights, I've had a bit of trouble sleeping. But it wasn't because I was nervous. It wasn't out of fear. Uh, that nervousness has turned to excitement. I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Um, because God is good, and he's been uh, graciously walking me through some things. And I'm excited to share that with you guys this morning. So I'm thankful that Philip and David asked me to be here just for that opportunity, and I hope that they're not here. I hope they still think it was a good idea when I'm finished. (laughs) I know many of you guys here. For those who don't know me, my name is Carson Fraze. I grew up in Melrose, a little town 40 40 minutes from here. Some of you college students from places you don't know. Um, I'm about to graduate, God willing, in December here from Eastern, and I'm involved with our campus ministry over here. Uh, I, was, I was gone this summer for an internship in Dallas, so I haven't been around, but I am glad to be back. And I'm excited for this semester, I'm excited for this church, uh, I'm excited for the campus, and I'm looking forward to it. So I've been praying that what God has for me to share with you this morning would have an impact on your life, would help you to know God better, uh, because it has for me. And like I said, God has graciously been uh, walking me through some of these struggles. Today we're going to look at grief and sorrow, and we're going to look at how we approach those things in life. And I want to start with a story. Uh, My sister called me a couple weeks ago, and she didn't ask me to preach. She, She had a question for me, and she said, how do you give somebody money without it seeming like you're giving them money? You know, it's not the American way to take help in that way. We kind of feel ashamed. Uh, like we should be able to take care of ourselves. She had that question for me. How do you give some money, money without it seeming like you are? And so I asked her, well, who needs money and, and why? And she told me this story about her coworker who's 39 years old, and her coworker has stage three kidney failure. And so she has to do dialysis every other day, which is a, a process that filters the waste from your blood because your kidneys won't do it for you. And it's an exhausting process. It takes three to four hours every time she has to do it. Um, and it, it also comes with considerable financial cost. And so my sister tells me she's thinking about getting a second job because things are tight. And the specific need mentioned was that uh, her daughter is in junior high getting into high school. And she needs uh, clothes for school, school supplies. You parents in the audience know how often you have to buy clothes for growing kids. And I'm sure there's other needs. That was just the specific one that my sister mentioned. And so I told my sister what I thought, um, and she went on with that. I told her I thought it would be a good way to show God's love if she just offered to take her daughter out and uh, take her shopping, get to know her, and do that kind of thing. The reason that I touch on, the reason I share this story is not because this is a great grief that I've experienced in my life or anything like that, but just to touch on the bit of the sorrow that I've personally seen and it, it may seem small in the big scheme of things, but it's a very real struggle for this lady that's struggling with this disease, real for her daughter that has to walk through it with her, real for the people around her that love her. And so 
I'd like you guys for just a moment to think about something in your life that is causing you grief or has caused you grief. It might be less severe or more severe than the situation that I just mentioned. Uh, Maybe someone you love has passed away and you're wrestling with that. It could be that you have a relationship with somebody that's not quite what you wish it was. Um, And it, it might be your own health. It might be the health of those around you. And if it's none of those things, it could just be the, the brokenness of the world in general. Uh, you don't have to look far to see some of that. So just think about that for a moment. So how do we deal with that grief and suffering in a biblical manner as Christians? The Bible certainly doesn't gloss over grief by any means. It doesn't act as if it isn't there. Um, it's quite the contrary actually. And one example that we can look to, and where I'm going to start, is in Psalm 90. It's on the back of your bulletin. If you've got a bulletin, uh, you can go there in your Bible, or you can just listen. Sometimes I like to just listen. And Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses, and it's categorized as a lament. And a lament is an expresso, expression of espresso coffee. Yeah, I don't even like coffee. I don't know why that came up. It's an expression of sorrow or mourning. It's uh, to cry out in grief. And much of the Psalms are laments. And let's be reminded, this is Moses that's saying this prayer. That's to God, um, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, who, who God used, who by God's power parted a sea. And uh, Moses is praying, and in verses 1 through 9, He's emphasizing the character of God, the power of God, the everlasting nature of God. And then he contrasts that with our nature, our sinful nature, um, our shortcomings. And so that's what verse 9 is kind of leading up to. And I think verse 10 really encompasses the struggle of man. And so Psalm 90, verse 10 reads, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So Moses is recognizing this burden that all of mankind carries with it. Everyone in this room, me and you, we carry this burden that life is short and much of what we do get is a struggle. I can relate to Moses and I think a lot of you guys probably can, probably more so than me. You've experienced a lot more things than I have. And back in verse 5, <laughs> Moses, Moses compares our life. Um, Braden in, in Sunday school this morning compared our life to a vapor. The Bible says that. And in verse 5, Moses compares our life to the new grass that springs up in the morning. And by the evening, it's dry and withered. We can relate to that here in New Mexico. We didn't even have to wait until evening. It's probably noon for us. So Moses recognizes the struggle, but he doesn't stop there. He continues on in verse 11, and he says, If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. 
for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So Moses doesn't just wallow in the grief. He doesn't just lie in the burden that we all carry. He knows that the answer rests with God. The only answer rests with God. He's saying, teach us, Lord. Relent. Satisfy us with your love. Let us know your deeds. Let us know your favor. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in three passages today. This was the first one. I'm, I'd like to go to another one now, and it's going to be in John 16. It's also in your bulletin. And I think that it's another passage that points to this truth as well, uh, the truth of the answer lying with God. And Jesus kind of begins to touch on the source of that answer. Why does the answer lie with God? So in John 16, Jesus is nearing the time of his physical death. These are some of the last words that, some of the later words in his life that he would have shared with his disciples. And this is what he tells them. And it's in John 16, starting in verse 20. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Jesus directly addresses grief here. He, he, uh, he says, you're going to have it. But he points to the resurrection as the answer, the answer to that grief, and then a joy that cannot be taken away. So Moses recognizes that the answer lies with God, and Jesus kind of gives us, a, well, kind of, he gives us the source of that joy, the resurrection, the source of that answer. And now I want to dive a bit deeper into what that joy that can't be taken away, what it means. And Peter gives us a more in-depth description of that joy in 1 Peter chapter 1. And this scripture is where I want to spend uh, the rest of our time. And Peter here is writing to encourage his fellow believers in persecution. And I know that all three areas of the Bible, all three scriptures are in very different contexts. Um, Moses is recognizing the struggle of mankind as he's coming out of Egypt. Jesus is, is encouraging his disciples that with the answer that the resurrection is the answer to gr their grief. And then here Peter is encouraging his disciples, or not his disciples, his followers, not his followers either, fellow believers. He's encouraging fellow believers because they're facing persecution. So they're all different contexts, yes, but the answer remains the same. Thousands of years apart from one another and thousands of years apart from us here in church today. Um, and that answer is that in a world of grief and sorrow, Jesus is the only hope for joy. In a world of grief and sorrow, Jesus is the only hope for joy. And Peter's going to look at that joy a little bit in First, first Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 3. <laughs> and my heading is uh, praise to God for a living hope. And I, I don't know if you caught it, but we, we sang about a living hope in one of our songs this morning, so that's pretty cool. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So again, Peter refers to the resurrection. He gives us, here's a picture of the forward-looking hope that we can have that doesn't end in, in decay or in sorrow. And verse 6 continues on. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It looks to me like there's an important shift in verse 6. It's not just that we will have grief uh, and to know that and to tolerate grief. But grief is even deemed necessary and valuable in our spiritual development. Grief and sorrow come so that our faith may be proven genuine, Peter says. And in James, uh, he writes to his fellow believers saying something very similar. James 1, 2, and 3 says, To consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How different is that than the American perspective or the worldly perspective? to consider joy and trial. I think that there's a lot of idols in, that we may have at times that keep us um, from having joy and trials. And some of these idols may be more deceptive than others. Um, money, family, marriage, happiness. And you might be thinking, well, those things don't sound like idols. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought too. <laughs> but... Uh, I'll get to that. Happiness has been an idol of mine, mine in my life. Uh, my senior quote in high school was a John Lennon quote. And I don't listen to John Lennon, so don't throw tomatoes if you don't like him. I think Dee said she's going to have one in her purse, but keep it in there. Um, it was a John Lennon quote. And he said, when I was five years old, my mother always told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wrote down happy. They told me I didn't understand the assignment, and I told them they didn't understand life. Now, at the time, I thought that was pretty witty. I think it is still pretty witty. I thought it was really something. But it didn't take me long to realize that it, it comes up short. The Bible says that man's wisdom is foolishness to God, 1 Corinthians 3.19. And happiness makes for a horrible God there one moment and gone the next. Maybe here tonight when you're hanging out with your friends and gone in the morning when you got to wake up at five in the morning and go to work. Or the opposite if you're my granddad and you like going to bed early and waking up early, but you can come up with your own analogy. That's not our God. That's not the God of the Bible. If we hold our, our current happiness, our comfort, to be more important than our relationship with God, then we will never experience the fullness of joy that Christ offers. Uh, we just won't get it. We'll end up bitter, angry, hopeless. 
uh, because whatever we put our hope in that is not Christ is going to leave us empty-handed, and it's not going to fulfill our longing. Reality is just agreeing with expectations. And I, I heard him say that, and I, I kind of thought with what I was getting, marriage is a great gift from God. Uh, happiness at times is a gift from God uh, to be able to make money and to be generous with that. But if we hold any th- of these things to be our ultimate treasure, then that hinders us from knowing him. So Christ should be our ultimate treasure. In preparation for this sermon, I felt like I needed a, a silver bullet, which I realize is a, a, a silly ambition, something that I could just say to you guys and you would uh, you'd do that, go home, and you'd never feel grief again. And uh, I realized I was silly now. And Philip Wright, a youth pastor in Clovis, uh, we were talking about this. Let me, let me go back. That's not reality. Actually, I think reality is better. Uh, because knowing Christ is more valuable than not suffering. And I was talking to Philip Wright, youth pastor in Clovis this week, and he said, Carson, the gospel is the silver bullet. And I want to close with a quick story that kind of get at what, what I mean about that, that magnifies that truth, that the gospel is a silver bullet. So uh, Pastor David and I, along with some of the college students here today and uh, some incoming freshmen from Clovis, um, one of David's students in, or in his youth group, we all went to Collegiate Week this past week which is a uh, gathering of students from collegiate ministries from all over the nation. I think there's hundreds, maybe close to a thousand kids there, I'm not sure. But um, David and I were really encouraged by a young lady that we met there. And like I said, I think that uh, this story magnifies uh, the truth of the, go- the power of the gospel. She's actively involved with her campus ministry as a part of their leadership. And she is 22 years old, like me, and she's been diagnosed with cancer, among other medical issues. There's several. And from my understanding of, this, of her situation, which is limited because I didn't pry, uh, it's serious, severe even. However, we couldn't notice, in our, but help, help but notice in our conversations with this, this lady, that this young lady, that she continuously referred to the goodness of God. And it wasn't like, yeah, God is good. It was like passionate, God is good. And you could see it in, what, in how she spoke. And she spoke of how he is the ultimate comforter. That doesn't make sense, you know. <laughs> You're 22 years old. You're struggling with these things in life. Uh, the world would just say, and you've been, you've been dealt a bad hand. The world offers no remedy for something like that. And so that makes absolutely no sense, her response, unless you know this truth. And if you take away anything from today's message, I know it's kind of short. Uh, maybe you're glad about that. But if you take away anything from today's message, it should be this. And it's that true joy is knowing Christ. True joy is knowing God. True joy is having a deep relationship with the one who created you. 
So in light of that, maybe we should welcome any experience that brings us closer to him, including and even especially the difficult ones. And uh, true joy is knowing Christ. That's not in your bulletin because uh, God didn't make it apparent until Friday night, I think, to me. That, and it, it kept me up for like a couple hours. I was just laying in bed uh, smiling, honestly, like a goofball because it was just, it's so simple, yet we seem to not act like we believe what we believe at times. Um, that went faster than I thought it would. I think I spoke too fast, but uh, I have faith that um, whatever I spoke in accordance with God, God's word would be used to build his kingdom. And so we're going to have a time of reflection and response in a moment as we sing our last song. <clears throat> and if you don't know Christ and the joy that comes with that, there's no better way than to go to him in prayer and say, God, I realize that you should be the ultimate treasure in my life, and I want to know you, and I want to put my faith in you, Lord, and make you Lord of my life. There's no better way than to do it like that. And we're going to have some, some people up here to pray with you if, uh, if you'd like to pray. If you're here and you, and you have put your faith in Christ, as I have, maybe this could be a time of reflection uh, to consider or not whether Christ is your ultimate treasure. And uh, I know I, I thought he was, or I think he is at times, and then I let things get in the way. So maybe we could just reflect on that. Let the Spirit lead you. Um, and yeah, I'll close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone that is here. Thank you for everyone that may be listening online or will listen in the future. Lord, would you just satisfy us with your Lord, with your love, Lord? Um, teach us, help us to know you. Help us to, to know your deeds and to have your favor in our lives, Lord. I pray that you would help us to have a forward-looking hope in the resurrection, a living hope. Lord, I pray that we could recognize that true joy is knowing you and that that's why we can have joy and we can walk through suffering and grief um, in a way that doesn't make sense because we have a peace that surpasses all understanding, a joy that surpasses all understanding. Father, would you just have your spirit in this church and this coming semester um, in all of us, Lord, that we would love as you have loved us, that we would teach people to, to know what uh, you have taught us. And uh, I just ask for your blessing, Lord, and I ask that anything that I said this morning that was in accordance your, with your word would be used to build up your kingdom, Lord. And we love you, and I pray in Christ's name.